What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you. 
Good morning, everybody. Turn to page 19, Rock of Ages. It's transition from that fast-paced song to the real slow, real slow, careful fault of worship. Page 19.
Let's turn to page 23. Hello, Brother AJ in South Korea. Good, good. It's middle of the morning, middle of the night over there for you. But since it's past midnight, we'll still say good morning. <laughs> oh, page 23. Amazing Grace, page 23. No? Oh, that's page three, rather. Page three. Where is it? Yeah. Praying, then I will hit the record button on the Mixler program. I have to say that out loud so I don't forget. I'm very thankful to Brother AJ that also makes a recording so that when I make those mistakes, that we do have a backup. We do have a recording over the last. So praise God for Brother AJ, way over there on the other side of the world, right next to China, South Korea. Thank God for every person that um, participates in the works of the ministry. Let us go into prayer. 
Lord Heavenly Father, Almighty God, in Jesus' holy name, thank you, Lord Heavenly Father, for this new day of life. Thank you, Lord, that you chose to wake us up another day. You chose to wake us up from the dead, from our sins, from our ignorance, from false religion, from all the evils of the world. You've chosen to shine your light upon us. You had mercy, great mercy, upon us, that you called us out of darkness to your glorious and wonderful saving light. Praise your holy name. Father, we can never praise you and worship you enough, for you are definitely worthy of all of our praise and more. Father, we thank you for this day of worship and rest and fellowship. We thank you for this time and this ability and opportunity to gather together with other people around the world over the internet and over the telephone. Thank you that we have an opportunity to testify, to witness, to speak of your goodness, sing a song, to sing your praises, testify of your power and authority. Praise your holy name. Father, we do ask, Lord, for deliverance and help for the weak, for the distressed, for the attacked, sick and afflicted. We ask, Father, that you help my wife, Brittany, to heal her mind, body and soul, help her to find motivation, determination, Bring us true brothers and true sisters locally, every region of the church, Cape Town and South Korea, Australia, here in Tennessee, Brother Salada in Russia, Brother Verbijay in India, others around the world. You would grow your church and multiply your church many times this year of 2024, this would be the year that more people would finally accept the truth and surrender to you. Embrace your truth, the truth of Scripture, the truth of holiness, truth of repentance, that their eyes be opened and they surrender to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful that you are, that you are still willing to save despite the intense darkness upon this earth, by our wickedness and rebellion, that you're able and willing to save if we would be willing to humble ourselves, profess our sins, and repent, to return unto you, that there you are, of a hand and arm stretched out all day long for this rebellious people. You're waiting for us. We praise you, Father, that you are faithful. We don't have to really pray for you to do your part, but rather we need to do our part. Praise your holy name. Father, we turn the service over to you have your words in my mouth speak through me. Allow me to be 
a vessel your words. Ask, Lord, for your anointing upon these services, upon this sermon. That your light penetrate the hardest minds, the hardest hearts, the hardest souls. Your word will not return void nor vain, but to accomplish the purpose of salvation. The love of Christ. Jesus' name so be it. Amen. Congregation said, Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to the book of Psalms, and I'm going to hit the record button right now. February the 17th, 2024. Does God hate sinners? I believe that we've heard that theory somewhere, that doctrine somewhere across the internet that God hates sinners, and it's based upon the book of Psalms, chapter 5, as we turn there. And for those that might be listening for the first time, we're going to read out of the Alpha and Omega Bible, a restoration of the original scriptures using the Dead Sea Scrolls and other ancient manuscripts, ancient manuscripts that were older than what was used for the translation of the King James Bible. The Alpha and Omega Bible. Psalm 5, verse 5. In the Alpha and Omega Bible. It says, Neither shall the transgressors continue in your sight. You cast out, Jesus, all of them that work iniquity or sin, or those that break the law. Those are different ways you can translate that word. But King James Version and most other translations actually have the word hate there, that you hate, not cast out, but hate those that work iniquity, those that sin. And then, over in chapter 11, verse 5, Chapter 11, Psalm 11, verse 5, Jesus tries the righteous and the ungodly, and he that loves unrighteousness hates his own soul. There's a major difference here in the Alpha Bible and the King James and other translations. Other translations says that God hates sinners. And it says it straight out. But different translations are different. And it is true even in all languages, I would think. I know it's true in Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, and many languages that, including English, that a word sometimes can have more than one meaning. I'd be curious if that's true in the Korean language or not, that there are certain words that have more than one meaning. So we have to consider that fact. Amen. We have to consider that fact. Context of Scripture determines the meaning. And when I say context, not only do I mean the previous verses and the next verses after it, but also 
even other books of the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, every verse of Scripture must be considered because it's really true, it's absolutely true, that the sum of the word, the conclusion of the word, adding up the word, everything from Genesis to Revelation, adding up every book of the Bible, is needful to, to come to the right conclusion, the right answer of the puzzle. So we have to consider the book of John, chapter 3. Let's go over that. John chapter 3, verse 16. That's a very famous verse right there. John 3, 16 is what a lot of denominations base uh, all of their most major doctrines upon that one verse alone. It's often misused by the world's churches uh, to teach a hyper grace, to teach that there is no law, to teach that you can do anything you want to do, to live like a Buddhist or a Satanist, to just do anything that you want to do, that you are your own God, you are your own master. Just do whatever you want to do. We know, we know that if you read all of the Bible, that you can't get that from John 3.16. You can't get that from the Bible at all. Amen? But unfortunately, that is really, in different words, what those churches are teaching. Of course, they're not going to say it like that. The devil never gets in your face and actually says, I am evil. But rather, the devil says, I'm a man of peace, and here is the truth, and people fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. But they don't take the time to carefully and sincerely, really and deeply, honestly, examine all the facts. No matter what topic we're talking about, people don't do that by large. The majority do not do that. Revelation 12, verse 9 tells us that. Revelation 12, verse 9 says that Satan has deceived the entire world. Very serious statement. But John 3, 16 says this. For Theos, or for God, so loved the world. That's the world that is deceived. A world full of deceived, lost souls. Amen? That he loved, or loves, the world. That he gave his only begotten, his only conceived, his only born son of promise, his only son, that whosoever shall entrust to him, marry their soul to him, more than just believing. Again, that is a perfect example right there of a word that has more than one meaning. The Greek word for believe in that verse. Sometimes, in the context of some verses, does mean just believing. Believing that Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. In some contexts, the context of some verses. But then in other verses, such as this verse, is more than just 
in mere belief. Because even the devils believe, right? Even the devils believe, but tremble, and they don't obey. And we know that devils will not be saved. Will not be. Amen. So it's not enough to just believe, and it's not enough to just only have faith. Even James tells us that, that faith without works is dead beyond alone. So it's impossible for the word believe to always mean just only believe and that's all you have to do. The devils believe that Christ is God and that he died and rose again, right? But they are not saved. But some verses, I mean some pastors would say, well, you have to not only believe that he's God, that he died and rose again, but you also have to believe that he is your savior. And that's why there's difference with the demons, with Satan. They don't believe that he is their savior. That when you're dealing with humans, you have to believe that he is your savior. You have to accept his sacrifice. And that is the difference. And that is what makes you saved, that all you have to do is believe. That's what they claim. But here's the problem with that theory. Is that... I have seen with my own eyes, I'm sure you have as well, people who claim that they accept Christ as their Savior, that they have accepted the sacrifice of Christ as the Messiah, that they are saved, that they're going to heaven, but yet they live like the devil. They still commit abominations, blasphemy. You can't tell that they are actually saved in their, their behavior, their works, their deeds. What did Christ say? That if you say that you know me, but you do not keep my commandments, then you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. That's what Christ himself said. What about Matthew 7, where it says that many would say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And he said, get away from me. I never knew you. Those people, those are people casting out demons. Those are people working great miracles. Those are people prophesying in his name, even his correct name, because he didn't say, you, too bad because you used the wrong name. He didn't say that. These are people that actually are calling themselves Christians, using the true name of Jesus, television evangelists, famous preachers, and, and other preachers that are not famous around the world, healing the sick and taking care of the church and, and preaching some elements of truth in that. But Jesus will say to them, get away from me. I never knew you. You who work at breaking the law, right? So no, it's not enough just to believe, even if you claim that you accept his sacrifice and you accept Christ as your Savior. That's still not sufficient. It's still, I mean, it's a step, of course. Amen? It is a necessary, required step to have that belief 
and to say that first prayer, and then the next step, and the next step, and the next step, including baptism and growing and having the fruits of repentance, the fruit of salvation, the fruits of the Spirit. All these are additional steps. And you've got to go the whole way and endure until the end to be reach the final conclusion of your salvation. Right? So the word believe here, to have eternal life, it says those that shall entrust to him, not just believing to him, will not be annihilated, will not perish, will not be annihilated, but have eternal life. To receive this eternal life, eternal life, what did Christ tell one man to do? Tell everything you have, give it. That's more than just believing, and that's more than just accepting him as your Christ. Amen. That's actually having works, faith mixed with works, and obedience, and obeying him, and sacrificing your life to him. Full surrender. Full and complete surrender. That is marriage. That's what marriage is supposed to be, right? That a woman completely surrender herself to her husband. But that type of marriage don't exist anymore. That was the old-fashioned marriage back when my grandmother first got married. That kind of marriage don't exist no more, but that's the biblical marriage. To entrust to him to bind two souls together. To surrender to Christ 100%. Okay. Are we not talking about marriage to Christ when we talk about eternal life? Amen? If we're going to go into the first resurrection, then we have to marry Christ. You can't have the first resurrection without marrying Christ. Amen? We become uh, the first wife of Christ. Not really because Israel, physical Israel, was his first wife. But compared to those in the second resurrection, we are his first wife. Compared to those that come to the second resurrection. That we're talking about marriage with Christ here in order to receive eternal life. That's why we say entrust. This goes back to sign language. Sign language is very edifying. Because the word for believe is very similar to the word for marriage. Very similar is the marriage of the mind or something like that. I wish my wife was here right now, but she's suffering great, great, greatly. With mental illness, she might walk in any moment there. Now, the hope, the pray that she'll walk in any moment. But if she was here, she can help me out with this right now. The sign language is pretty edifying with this verse right here and the meaning of the word believe. But God so loved this world, this world full of sinners, deceived and lost people, that he sent his only son, which is really part of his own being. 
not a different person. He didn't send a different person. He sent part of his own his own DNA, his own self, part of his own his own being, part of his own heart. That's how much he loved his lost wicked sinners. He saved us while we were still yet sinners, right? He didn't come to save the righteous because then we wouldn't need a savior. He came to save sinners. Amen. So that we may marry him. Amen. Let's go over to <clears throat> Book of Romans, chapter five. Romans five, verse eight. Romans five, verse eight. But feels God demonstrates his own love, not hate, but love toward us, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Summarizing John 3.16, amen. In fact, we need to add John 3.16 to the notes, the references right there. I would like for you to take your eight pen at the end of that verse eight, write John three sixteen, because that is an excellent reference. Very important verse, amen. Does God hate sinners? Does God hate sinners that He loved us while we were still sinners? I mean, I mean, which is it? Come on, which is it? Which is it? Amen. Let's go to Second Peter three. Second Peter three or two Peter. Page 278, if you have the paperbacks. Verse 9, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. Wow. Talking about patience. His patience. Mind-boggling how patient he is. Amen. For you, not wanting for any to perish or be annihilated. But for all, that's what he wants, his desire is for all, for everyone to come to repentance. He wants everybody to repent, to come to him, to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved, everyone. Murderers, homosexuals, thieves, liars, Everyone, he wants everyone to be saved. Does he hate sinners? Or does he love us? 
and warn us to be saved. Which is the truth? Which is it? First Corinthians six, chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. Starting in verse nine, page one ninety-five. If you have the paperbacks, ninety-five. First Corinthians six, verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous of sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor the soft, nor homosexuals, nor thieves. Nor the covetous, nor alcoholics, nor the, the devourers, nor swillers would inherit the kingdom of the earth, the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul at one time, right? Such were some of you, us, that you were washed, that you were sanctified. But you were acquitted in the authority of the Lord Jesus, the Christ, and in the Spirit, or Theos. Praise God. Praise God for his mercy, his amazing grace. Amen? That he would save even the idolatry. Now think about idolatry because in the Old Testament to worship a false god, and that's what idolatry is. Worshiping a false god. Doing Christmas, Easter, St. Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday, Lent. All of this in the Trinity is idolatry. Praying to Mary. These things are abomination. Not every sin is an abomination. Not every sin is an abomination. An abomination is a more serious sin. But even among the sins that are listed as abominations, even among those sins, which is, includes worshiping a false god, the Trinity, the Christmas, the Easter, so forth, the Sunday worship, Even among the idolatrous, which is an abomination, even homosexuality also listed as an abomination. So we got more than one abomination in this list of sins right here. It says, as such were some of you, but you are now washed, you are now sanctified. Change can occur. The old self is gone. The old self died. The old self is crucified with Christ and resurrected with Christ. You are a new creature. You're not the same person. That's why you don't keep your physical birthday anymore after you are truly saved in the truth. You don't keep your physical birthday anymore as a celebration. You might acknowledge it. You might acknowledge that you're another year older. That's fine. But you don't have a piece of cake, you don't throw a party, you don't expect gifts, because that person he was born as in the flesh 
is gone. It's crucified with Christ. You're a new person. You're not who you used to be. Amen. Praise God. So if we committed abominations, the more serious sins, but yet he still is willing and able to forgive and forget. Our sins be as far from us as the west is from the east. Our sins are washed away to never be brought up against us again. No double jeopardy with God. Our sins are forgotten. What a wonderful God we serve. But we have to be truly saved. That means we have to stop the idolatry, stop going to the Sunday churches, stop going to Christmas and Easter, stop observing, stop celebrating pagan, which are absolutely pagan, if you would just take the time to sincerely, carefully, and honestly examine all the facts about yoga, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Christmas, Sunday, Trinity, all these things, pre-tribulation rapture, if you would just take the time to sincerely examine all the facts, come to the right conclusion, the rightly dividing the Word of God, and be willing to humble yourself to say, I was wrong and repent and change your life and change your belief and change your doctrine and change your church and change the pastor away from the Babylonian pastor who is ignorant of Scripture and does not keep the commandments of God and go only to the only true church you can find. If you would surrender to God. Amen. Then he is willing to save you. Amen. If God hates sinners. Let's look at Romans 10 verse 21. Romans 10 verse 21. Page 185, if you have the paperbacks. Romans 10, verse 21. But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and argumentative disputing people. Some translations probably says rebellious. Jeremiah, some translations say rebellious, Isaiah, so forth. Same thing. People who are rebellious, people who argue against God, argue against the truth, dispute the truth, dispute God's word, despite how simple it really is. It really is simple. It really is. The truth is easy and simple if people would just read the Bible, stop listening to the Sunday Trinity churches, and actually read the Bible for themselves. And it becomes simple and easy if you're willing 
to accept the truth and allow the Bible to change your thinking. That God has his hand stretched out to us all day long. That's repeatedly, that's forever. But God has his arm stretched out to us just waiting for us to reach back and say, okay, Father, I will take your hand. Lead me, guide me, direct me, save me. Amen. Be willing to surrender to him. His hand is out there waiting for us. Amen. God has sent us. Now think about this. This is a quotation from the Old Testament where it said repeatedly, I think in Jeremiah, and Isaiah, maybe both. But wherever it is, it's a quotation. And it does say it's a quote in Isaiah 65, but it's somewhere there. It's Isaiah 65 is in verse 20. I think we need to add a Jeremiah to verse 21. Double check on that. It says that's what I just said. That it says that, but I don't believe it's there. As far as verse 21, I think it's quoting. I think it's quoting two different verses. We'll take time to examine that. Uh, but regardless of where it's at, the point remains the same. That, who is it talking about now? Consider who it's talking about. It's talking about uh, the nation Israel in the Old Testament. And what was their crime? What was their sin? Did you know sin is a crime? Most people don't even know that. What is sin? The Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. What does that mean, transgression of the law? What does that mean? That means breaking the law. What is breaking the law? Breaking the law is committing a crime. Amen? People don't even know these basic biblical definitions. That's how ignorant pastors are in the Sunday churches because the Sunday churches don't want you to know that you have to keep the law of God of the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. That the Sabbath still remains. They don't want you to know that. They don't want you to believe that because they don't believe it. The Bible says the blind lead the blind. And it is very true. Amen. The blind lead the blind. But Israel in the Old Testament, where it says that his arm is stretched out all day long to rebellious people, it's talking about a people that was worshiping the Assyrian calendar, sunset to sunset. The star of Easter, Easter and Christmas, different things like this, different elements of Babylon, Assyrian Babylon. That's exactly what it's talking about idolatry, false gods breaking the first commandment and the second commandment, and the fourth commandment, and so forth, and other commandments. That's exactly what it's talking about. And yet, he was willing. To save, to reach out, of course, salvation. Salvation was not available in the Old Testament. But deliverance was available. He was able to and willing to deliver these 
sinners, these wicked people that was breaking the Ten Commandments, that was committing abominations against God, abominations against God. He was still willing. He still had his arms stretched out all day long, which really means daily, all the time. Does God hate sinners? Now, we've looked at more than just one verse. We have looked at verse after verse after verse. I think it's easy to know that God does not hate sin. But we still have to figure out what does it mean then? What does it mean then? When most Bibles say in Psalm 5 verse 5 and Psalm 11 verse 5 and other places that God hates sinners, those that work at iniquity, those that break his law. What does it really mean? We have to, I say we have to look at the context of the entire Bible. We know we've looked at enough verses that are clear and easy and absolute that God does not hate sinners, that he loved us while we were still sinners. Amen? So what are the other synonyms, not synonyms, but rather other meanings of it? What are the other meanings of that word? Well, we could take, for example, where it says in John, is it John? Where is it, Brother Gerald, that where it says that we must hate our family, our parents? Where is that at? Luke. Luke 14. Let's go over there. Page 93, Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 26. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and is not willing to, the Alpha and Omega Bible says, not willing to forsake, the other translations, almost all other translations, almost all, all, all other translations say, hate his own father, his own mother, his own wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, really his own family. I mean, yeah, his own family, really everyone, and even his own life, even to hate himself. But unless you do all that, he cannot be my disciple. Hate. We know that doesn't make sense. That, that is crazy. It doesn't make sense for God to say you must hate everybody in order to go to heaven or to inherit eternal life or to be his disciple. We know it can't mean hate. So what are the other possibilities? You look at Matthew 10, you look at other chapters, you look at other verses of the Bible, and it becomes clear and simple and easy as can be, as easy as pie with whipped cream. That easy. Amen. That you must be willing to forsake anyone, parents, wives, husbands, children, parents, Friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, jobs, careers, houses, land, 
jobs, education, colleges, universities, and churches, and pastors. You must be willing to forsake anyone, anything, in order to find the truth, accept the truth, surrender to God and the truth, and really and truly be God's disciple, his student, his follower. Amen? But your typical average pastor and Christian and church and denomination, all of them, they would say that you should never forsake your parents or your wives or your husbands or your children or your parents. Amen? They would say never. They would say, don't you ever, 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 ever do that. Have they not read this verse? They claim to have read it all. But have they not read this verse? They read past it so fast. They don't stop. They don't think. They don't write it down. And they don't teach it. Amen. They say it means love less. Love less. That's how they want to translate it in their mind. That's how they want to teach it if they teach it at all. Love less. But that's not what it means. Love less. That's not what it means. Matthew 10, other places in the Bible. Let's just turn over there. Let's see if we can find that verse I'm thinking of. I think it's Matthew 10. More than one place. There's even another place in Luke that follows this. The same thinking of what I'm trying to think of. Matthew 10, look at verse uh, 34, starting there. Starting there. Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace. This is what Christ said. I did not come to bring peace on the earth but a sword. A sword. Christ came to this earth to bring war and division according to his own words. Verse 35, I came to set a person against his dad, his father. This is what we're just talking about in Luke 14, verse 26. Christ came, not the devil. Of course, the devil came to do the same thing but for different reasons. Amen. But Christ came to set a person against his own family, his own dad, his own daughter, a daughter against her mom, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be the members of his own house. Amen. Verse 37, He who paid, he who loves dad or mom more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So right there, yes, it is a measurement of who you love more. Yes, it is. But it's more than that. Because faith without works is dead being alone. Amen? It's not, a, it's not enough to just believe. In other words, it's not enough to just only have the knowledge but not follow Right? It's more than just 
having the feeling, but it's following through. It's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if you love God first, but you don't do nothing about it, if you don't actually put him first above everybody and everything, then that love is fruitless unless you do something about it. If you love a woman, but you never give her flowers, you never give her candy, you never give her a kiss, you never take her out for a date, you never marry her, you never move in with her or her with you, then and you never bear a child. I mean, what is it to love a person if you don't do something about it? Amen? So even if you love less humans compared to God, it's useless unless you do something about it. So here Christ did more than just only bring emotion. What good is a sword unless you use it? Amen? You can, the thought may come into your mind. The enemy needs to be slayed. But unless the enemy is slayed, you, you didn't need to buy the sword. Amen. Verse 38. He who does not take his cross more than just believing in it, more than just believing in the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, but actually taking that cross in your hands and following me, carrying the cross on your back, actually carrying the weight and the burden of the cross, more than believing in the cross, more than believing in the crucifixion and resurrection, but actually carrying the cross in your life. That doesn't mean that you've got to find some wood and build a cross. What it means is a true surrender to Christ can be and will be a heavy burden because the world will hate you. You will not be able to get along with family. You will not be able to get along with people you live with. You will have to move out. You will have to save up your money and move out. Because darkness and light do not get along. And the more that your light of truth shines, and the more that they grow in darkness, because I guarantee you they will, you got to get out. You might have to buckle your belt tighter, stop eating out, may have to stop buying candy. You may have to uh, cancel a subscription. You may have to sacrifice. But whatever you're going to have to do, you got to get serious about what you need to do. Amen. Time is short. Here's the problem. Time is short and people are acting like they still got years and years and years and years. Will you not realize that World War III is at the door? It doesn't take a saved person 
to know that World War III is at the door. Very, very close. Time to get serious. Amen. But anyway, taking up the cross is a serious thing more than believing. You must be willing to forsake these people. Notice it says here in verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? Everybody has a plan for their life. Everybody has their own plan, their own will. Well, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. That's finding your life within your own will. And they're like, oh, I finally found what I want to do. And, oh, praise the Lord, I own this house. And praise the Lord, I've got this job. And praise the Lord, I've got this college degree, or I'm going to get this college degree. And i got this, and i got that. This is my plan. This is my will. And it's working out. Praise God, he's given it to me. Praise God, he's answered my prayers. Bullcrap. A lot of times, it's not God, even if it's granted to you. It's not really granted to you. Many times, it's the work of your own hands and the work of your own plan and the work of your own pursuit. Just because you got it don't mean God gave it to you even if you was praying for it. If you're working for it, you get it, regardless of your prayers. You, if you're working for it, if that is your pursuit, that's what you're pursuing, that's what you're working for, and you get it, that doesn't mean it's from God necessarily. Most of the time it's because, well, you was pursuing it. Amen. Of course, God does answer prayers at times and, and give people the desires of their hearts. I'm not denying that, of course. But I'm saying in general, most of the time, what people receive is what they have planted, what they have worked for. And a lot of times that does not go in agreement with God's true will, a lot of times, many times. Amen. Losing your life for God, it says... He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That means those people that have have surrendered to God, and there's a, a verse over in Luke I really like to see as Brother Joel can find, that if you have forsaken these people, then you'll be greatly rewarded. You have forsaken houses and land and wives, you'll be greatly rewarded. So as he looks that up, see if he can find it. Keep talking about this, verse 39 here in Matthew 10, verse 39. He who has lost his life for my sake is those that have lost their parents, those that have forsaken their parents, more than love less, but actually went through to forsake people in their life and jobs, education, whatever the situation may be, different people, different situations, whatever the situation may be in that individual. Be willing to give up things and people for God. To put God first and God's plan first 
grip the realization of time is short and what's really the most wise. A lot of people, a lot of times, people are trying to figure out what's the best for their future, but their eyesight is too narrow. They're not seeing the great tribulation at the door. When you think of what's best for your future, you have to consider how much time we got left. And the problem is people still think we got 50 years and 100 years, and we don't. Amen. Find out yet, Gerald. Okay. If anybody knows where it's at, John, uh, John up in Kansas says Matthew 19. Uh, he wants us to look at Matthew 19, verse 29. Matthew 19, verse 29. That's it. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it very much. Matthew 19, verse 29. Thank you very much, brother. John 19, verse 29. You write that down. Matthew 19. And it says, and everyone who has forsaken houses or brothers or sisters or dad or mom or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So we got to add a reference to verse 29 there, adding the reference over to Luke. 14, verse 26. I want everyone to take a pen. And at the end of verse 29 here, Matthew 19, verse 29, we'll write in Luke 14, verse 26. And I think we should also write in Matthew 10. And I get a verse number there. Um, verse 37. We'll cut 37. Verse 37. Then I'm going to turn back over to Matthew 10 and write some references there as well. Ten, turning back over to Matthew 10, verse 37. We're going to add references in the verse. We're going to put uh, Luke 14, 26, and Matthew 19, verse 29. Okay, so again, at the end of the verse of Matthew 10, verse 37, we're going to write Luke 14, 26, we're going to write Matthew 19:29. This is what you call studying the Bible. You don't find that in most traditional Sunday Trinity pre-tribulation rapture, 
churches. You don't find that. You don't find pastors cross-referencing scriptures like we are right now. They don't study the Bible. Those pastors don't study the Bible. So we see in the comparison here that it's more than loving less, but rather it's being willing to forsake, willing to forsake anyone, anything, because you got to put God first. That first commandment is first for a reason. Amen? God first, the truth first, the gospel, the kingdom of God first, above jobs, careers, people, family, relationships, anything and everything. First commandment is first. God first. God first. In money, finances, jobs, plans for the future, everything. God first, God first, God first. If everybody would just get that into their mind, they would get on the right road. Amen. Got to get on the right road. Amen. Now, I want you to look at Revelation 18, verse 5. Revelation 18, verse 5. Before I forget, I'll say hello to Kenny in Cape Town, South Africa, that uh, just today started attending live worship services with the Cape Town, South Africa congregation. We welcome Kenny. He's been listening to the services for a couple of months and growing in the truth and accepting the truth. So today is his first day attending the live worship services. We appreciate him. We praise God for um, what God is doing in there. Now, over here in Revelation 18, talking about Babylon, and verse 4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon so that you will not propitiate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven as the Theos has remembered rather than forgotten. He forgets our sins if we repent and be saved. But he still remembers her sin, her iniquity, that she breaks God's law. She does not keep the Sabbath. She does not keep the Ten Commandments. She does not keep the biblical holy days. She breaks God's law. This Babylon that is talking about is a religious system. It is, in one sense, a actual literal city, which I believe is known, N-E-O-M, known in Saudi Arabia, in one sense, and Mecca, which is part of that known region and system. So it has a physical meaning, a literal meaning, being a literal city, but it also has a symbolic meaning of being a religious system. How that known and Mecca is directly related to and ruled by the authority of Islam, demonic principalities, principalities, and so forth. 
So uh, it's more than just a building. It's more than a city. It's more than a, a, a location on earth that you must depart from, but a religious system. And Islam, I have shown on the website at isawthelightministries.com 19 ways that the Catholic Church is in relationship to Islam. 19 ways that the Catholic Church is related to Islam. 19 ways. When you think of the Catholic Church, you should think of Islam. When you think of the Orthodox Church, you should think of Islam. Even Judaism, you should think of Islam. They're very much in relationship with each other. They have a lot, a lot, a lot of similarities. In Judaism, false religion that denies Christ, denies that he is God, Islam does the same. Uh, both of them forbid eating of pork. Both Islam and Judaism forbid the eating of pork because they do not realize the strength of the blood of Christ because they do not accept the blood of Christ. So as a religious system, not only a literal location, come out of her, my people, that you not participate in her sins and of the consequences of her sins, the plagues, the judgment against her. But notice there's five that her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Now what that reminds me of is that the Bible does say that the, that the, the smell of sinners ascends up to heaven, to the throne of God. That he smells the sinners, and the sinners stink. But here, the sins relating also to the destruction of the city and of the religious system, the sins are piled up as high as heaven. Now this is important to whether God hates sinners and what does it mean? Does it mean only forsake? Yes, it does mean that God forsakes sinners, even as we forsake sinners. Amen? We forsake sinners. We move out of their houses sooner or later, eventually. That's what I'm going to do. We forsake sinners. But more than that, we also smell them. They stink. Mentally, spiritually. Amen? Sometimes physically. Let's look at other verses about this. Isaiah 65. Let's go to Isaiah 65. Starting in verse 1, know that we had a quotation of Isaiah 65 while ago, so we get to read that now. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 1, we have the paperbacks, page 48, and while I'm thinking of it, we're still working on the one volume and the two volume, updated edition of AOB, probably another week. Uh, from now, maybe two weeks from now, because I'm going to do some more edits, get it really updated, really perfected, so we release it. Another week or two on that. Appreciate your continued prayers for the work of the AOB. 
Isaiah 65, verse 1. I became manifest to them that asked not for me. I was found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold, I am here to a nation who called not on my name. In other words, God called us first, the nation of Israel. Verse 2, I have stretched out my hands. So it does say it in Isaiah 65. I have stretched out my hands all day to a disobedient and gainsaying people, to them that walked in a way that was not good. But after their sins, they walked after their sins. They walked in their own way, their own life. Those that leave their life shall find it. This is a people that provoke me continually in my presence. They offer sacrifices in gardens and burn incense on bricks to devils, which exist not. In other words, to Greek mythological creatures and so forth like that. Verse 4, they lie down to sleep in the tombs and in the caves for the sake of dreams in order to try to find divine revelation from mysterious gods, false gods. Even they that eat swine's flesh and the blood for the sacrifices, and their vessels are defiled. So the people that don't believe in eating pork, they would try to point to this verse. But they leave out the context of the verse. The eating of the pork here is not just only eating like a regular meal. That's not at all what it's talking about. But the context is very clear. Pagan worship pagan sacrifices. That's the context. It's not talking about eating a meal of pork. It's talking about eating pork in connection to pagan activity, the sacrifices, animal sacrifices for false gods, and doing things uh, in witchcraft, in uh, groves, gardens, places of pagan worship, pagan temples, so forth. Uh, deviation, these type of things. That's the context. Verse 5, who say, Depart from me, draw not near to me, for I am pure. This is the smoke of my wrath. A fire burns with it continually. Now, verse 5, it says that these people doing these things say, Get away from me because I am holy. That's what the Muslims do. That's what the Jews do. The Jews and the Muslims saying, I don't eat pork unless it's in a pagan sacrifice. And I do this and I do that and I don't do this and I do that and I don't do this and I do that. I'm holier than you are. I'm closer to God than you are. But really, what they're following is traditions of men false religions, false denominations, denominations and systems that deny the blood of Christ or got all kinds of different elements of paganism, whatever different element we're talking about, different elements of paganism. And therefore they think, even as the Pharisees did, even as the Pharisees did, think that they was the closest ones to God. They thought that they were the closest ones to God because they knew the law and abstained from pork and did this and did that and did this and did that. 
and they distanced themselves from a lot of people. Said we're holier than thou. But those same people, they are a smoke in my wrath. God says a fire burns with it continually. In other words, God says that these sins of the people are like smoke in his nose, basically. A smoke of my wrath. Other translations do have the word nose there or, or something stretched out, uh, something similar to that, looking at my notes. Uh, I believe that some translations may have, maybe perhaps, the word nose there or, or that the smoke is ascending up to the throne of God or something like that. But it's like if that fire is burning continually, it's a smell, it's a stench to God. Look at Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 51. Um, actually, it's not going to be Jeremiah 51, but chapter 27, Jeremiah 27. Twenty-eight. We're right in a minute. Page 77, if you have the paperbacks. Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. The reason for the confusion of the chapter number is because there's a different chapter number in all other Bibles. The Alpha and Omega Bible is based upon the agent Greek Septuagint. Agent's Bible, the original older Bible before the King James, way before the King James, thousands of So it was different chapters at that time. The Bible was divided differently at that time. And so if you look at this verse in King James and New American Standard and NIV and others, it would be chapter 51. But in the Greek Septuagint, in the Alpha and Omega Bible, chapter 28. The Jeremiah 28 and Alpha and Omega Bible, verse 9 says, We tried to heal Babylon, but she was not healed. Let us forsake her and depart everyone to his own country, for her judgment has reached to the heaven and has reached, risen to the stars. So we need to add a reference there. Well, we already got a reference up in verse 6, so we don't need to add it. Verse 6 already has a reference to Revelation 18. But I would like, if we don't have this reference in Revelation 18, we need to add that. And then we'll do it real quick. Revelation 18, excuse me if we have a reference to this, uh, to Jeremiah. No, we don't have that reference there. 
So in Revelation 18, verse 3, Revelation 18, not verse 3, where, that one? where is it? Uh, verse 5, 6, where is it? Verse 5, verse 5, we'll put it in verse 5. Revelation 18, verse 5, we're going to add a reference to Jeremiah 28, verse 9, but we need to put a note there. That in the King James Version, it's chapter 51. You write that down in another location as well. So Isaiah eight, I mean not Isaiah, but Revelation, chapter eighteen, verse five. We're adding a reference to Jeremiah twenty-eight, verse nine. But in King James, it's one verse. See why we have to keep updating the Alpha and Omega Bible because we're adding, adding, adding more cross references and study notes, stuff like that, continually, as well as perfecting uh, some of the words as well. All right, so getting back to this, uh, Jeremiah, getting back to Jeremiah 28, verse 9, but if you're looking at other translations, then you need to be looking at chapter 51. Getting back to verse 9, it says, We tried to heal Babylon, but she was not healed. Therefore, let us forsake uh, her. So, in other words, God's hand has reached out all day long. He wants to heal. He wants to save. He wants to deliver. Even those people that are committing the abominations, even those people who are committing the idolatry, even those people that think they are saved that are not saved, even Revelation chapter 3 to the Laodicean church who thinks that she is saved, who thinks that she is rich and have no need of purification, no need of growing in the truth, no need of humbling yourself, no need of repentance. She is stagnant, she is lukewarm, but God would vomit her out of his mouth. He's sick to his stomach. God is sick to his stomach to vomit her out of his mouth because lukewarm water, it don't taste good to a lot of people, most people. He would rather have hot coffee, hot tea, or a cold, refreshing iced tea, ice water. Lukewarm water is nauseating to some people, and God uses this uh, analogy. So if we're talking about stink, if we're talking about sickening, if we're talking about things, sins, that sickens God, he doesn't literally get sick. God does not literally get sick. He does not have a literal flesh and blood stomach. But spiritually, spiritually, this symbolism of God becoming sick 
with the sins of the people, the pride of the people, the stubbornness of the people. Whether we're talking about the mouth of vomiting or whether we're talking about the nose of stench, of a bad smell. So applying this to where it says in Psalm, the book of Psalms and other places, that God hates sinners. It's God is willing to forsake sinners, that he does forsake sinners, and not only is he not only does he forsake sinners, which is very biblical, very biblical, but also he detests them. So more than one possible meaning to words. This word for hate could be translated as forsake or cast out. But it can also be translated as detest. That he detests a sinner because they stink, that they make him nauseous, that they make him want to vomit, that they make him want to turn away because he cannot stand their stench. If we apply this to our own lives, a lot of people have difficulty because they've made too much friendship with the, with the world and they never cast anyone out. They don't hate sin enough. They don't hate sin as much as they should hate sin. They don't hate sin as much as God hates sin. Therefore, a lot of people cannot relate to what I'm about to say, but I can relate to what I'm about to say, for sure. And that is, there are certain people that you can love, even as God loves us while we are still yet sinners, and have great, amazing grace for us, and we are washed, and our sins are washed away, and our sins are forgotten. But while we was in the midst of our sins, he did not answer our prayers, except for the prayers of Help me to repent. Help me to get right. Amen. The Bible says repeatedly that he does not hear or he does not answer the prayers of sinners. It says that repeatedly. But you got all these people who are sinning constantly on a daily basis, habitual sin, and they pray and they think they are Christians, such as homosexuals who are still active in a gay lifestyle, who think that they're Christians even though they're not repenting of their sins, and they think God hears their prayers. According to the Bible, he does not answer their prayers. He does not. Amen. Same thing with the false Christians that go to the Sunday churches and they keep Christmas and Easter and believe in the Trinity and all these things that does Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, all these different things, Lent, all these different things. He does not answer their prayers. If they get a job, it's because they pursued the job. Amen. He does not answer their prayers. They can claim all the time that, that God answered their prayers. He doesn't. I've seen that over and over and over. I've seen it. That they like, oh, God did this. And praise God for this. And God did this. And praise God for that. But it really, it's just that they actually filled out the application to get it. And that was it. Some things in life are coincidence. Some things are coincidence. 
people need to stop saying there's no such thing as a coincidence because there is such thing as coincidence. Christians need to stop saying that. Sometimes a flat tire really is nothing but a coincidence. Sometimes you stump your toe, it really is a coincidence. Sometimes you, you go to the grocery store and the total of your groceries is six dollars and sixty-six cents. That's six six. And it's it's not God speaking to you, and it's not the devil speaking to you, and it's not the devil possessing the cashier. It's just simply coincidence. Coincidence is a real thing. But at the same time, not everything is a coincidence. So people need to recognize, learn to recognize the voice of God and the hand of God. When it is coincidence, when it's the devil, when it's their own pursuit, and when it's God. Amen. We did a whole sermon on that. People need to learn to recognize when it is the voice of God, when it is the hand of God, when it is their own pursuit, and when it is consequences of their own works and actions, and when it is the devil. People need to reach maturity. People need to reach maturity. Spiritual and mental and physical maturity. Very, very, very important. Major problem. Know that the sermon is going very, very long. But I believe and feel that we have the anointing of God. And as long as we have the anointing of God, we continue. But it's about done with God. As far as the sermon, the sermon message is about done with. But I want to make for sure that I finish every point and every verse that God would have me to share with you. We don't want to step outside of the wheel of God and the flow of God and the spirit of God, and we don't want to quench his spirit. So I'm going to make for sure that everything he wants me to say that I'm going to say, that we take the time you know, to hear him out. You know. But in this verse, in verse 9, we tried to heal Babylon. His hand is stretched out all day long, in other words. But she was not healed because of her own rebellion, her own, her own rebellion. Therefore, some people will be annihilated in the lake of fire. Absolutely. But that annihilation, that perishing in the lake of fire, even that is the love of God. Think about this now for a moment. Atheists and other people try to mock God and say that God cannot be the God of love and we cannot be, have a real God because if there was a real God, he would not put people in the lake of fire. For one thing, they're thinking about an eternal fire, that, of course, the fire is eternal, but they're thinking about a fire that tortures people forever. And I would have to agree that we don't have a God that tortures people forever and ever and ever and ever without any end, because that would not be love. That would not be a God of love. That's not biblical. That's mistranslation. There's a difference between being biblical. When I say biblical, I mean agent biblical. 
right? There's a difference between uh, agent biblical and modern biblical, you could say. In other words, translations. The Bible has been corrupted. Amen. So where it says right now that the smoke shall ascend up forever and ever about uh, eternal torture, that's not the God we serve in the truth, in the true church. Because the Bible does say repeatedly that they will be annihilated. The word perish means annihilation, do completely away with. Perish is not eternal life. Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You can't have both. It's either life or death. You can't have eternal life for both the wicked and the righteous, both. At the same time, you cannot do it. Impossible. Amen. Oh, God help us. Father, help us. Please help us to feel your presence. Please help us to feel your energy, your strength. Please help us right now at this moment. Everybody stand up wherever you are. Wherever you are, anywhere. Please stand up right now. Let's get up out of the bed, off the couch. Father, we need you. We need to feel your presence. We need to feel passion. We need to be feel energized. Father, we want to hear you out. We know that there are people that are still learning. We know that there are new people. We know that there are young people. We know that there are new people. Just because we already know it does not mean it's not important. Teach the young and the new. Please help us, Lord, be prayer warriors in the sermon. Please help us be active in the church. Please help us to feel passion. Please warm up our plate. Please warm up our spiritual coffee, our spiritual tea. Warm us up. Help us, Lord, to not be lukewarm. Please help us, Lord, to press through. Please help us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your help. Amen. Praise God. Verse 9, we tried to heal Babylon, but she was not healed let us forsake her. Listen, let us leave the false churches and false pastors and the sinners. Let us leave the sinners and the places of sin and depart everyone to his own country, for her judgment has reached up to heaven. The judgment, the sins of the wicked is a stench to God. And God himself does not ask anything of us that he's not willing to do himself. Amen. We are not more holy than God. God's more holy than us, right? So if he requires us to be forsaken people, and he also forsakes them. He forsakes the sinners, those that continue to stay in sin, those that never reach back for his hand, those that never are willing to grow in the truth, those that are not willing to study the Bible, those that are not willing to surrender and repent 
from false religions and false denominations and false doctrines and other sins. He will not only forsake them, but he detests them because their sins stink to him. They are like a burning fire, a smoke in his nose, burning his nostrils. That is what the sins of the wicked are to him. And therefore, he not only forsakes them, but he also detests them. Now, what's the difference between hate and detest? I'll tell you the difference. I'll give you a perfect example. If I had a son, and he grew up being 16, 18, 19 years old or older, and he went into a convenience store, a store, a grocery store, a bank, anywhere, to rob it, I think he had not only the disrespect for those people and for human life to not only rob it, but he would go in there and murder those people and blow their brains out. I would detest my son and never speak to him again, ever, 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 ever again. I would not even give him a chance to repent. If he repents to God, praise the Lord. I will forgive him in the kingdom. Amen. But on earth, in this life, this generation, I would not forgive him because it would be such a tremendous sin that it would be a stench in God's nose and in my nose. It would be a stench, even as uh, the Bible says that something, some activity that somebody had done was a stench to David. So it's not only a stench to God's nose, it's a stench to our nose. Sin is, and sinners are. Not just the sin, but the sinners are a stench to our nose and to God. Not just the sin. So here's, here it is why we need to not only detest, I mean, why we should not only forsake, but also detest certain sinners. Because if a person is willing to continually be blasphemous against God, then it's not only the sin that God hates, but it's even the sinner that he detests. Because such blanket sin, what does the Bible say that if you continually sin, if you sin, if you continue to sin willfully after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice of sins. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, that if you sin willfully, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins. The blood of Christ has no effect. That's what the Bible says. You're held accountable for what you know. After you learn the truth of the Sabbath and Christmas and Easter and you continue to do those things, it don't matter how much you go to church and how much you pray and how much you think God is speaking to you and how much you think God is answering your prayers and blessing you. And none of those things matter because all of that is your own delusion. Amen. All of that is your own delusion. You're deceiving yourself. If you continue to sin willfully, there is no sacrifice for you. This is plain and simple, black and white, what the Bible says. Capitally, to continue in sin willfully. This is not a mistake. 
once in a while, rarely, but as a daily habitual thing, you continue in the lifestyle of sin and abomination and blasphemy against God, there are consequences. And not only God will forsake you and not hear your prayers, but also he will bring punishment upon you. He will bring judgment. God loves, praise the Lord, he's merciful. Praise God, he's forgiving when we repent. Praise God that God does love and have mercy. Praise God, I'm a living example of his mercy, his forgiveness, and his cleansing, his mercy and his love and his grace. I'm a perfect example of that. Even David is a perfect example of that. Even Paul is a perfect example of that. Even you are a perfect example of that if you repent. But if you don't repent, then you are the perfect example of a dog that will burn and be annihilated because of the same mercy of God. Amen? Because of the same love of God. Because if God allows the dogs, which means spiritually defiled people, people who are lost, spiritual Gentiles that do not get adopted into the family of God, that do not become a spiritual Israelite. They do not spiritually get saved. They do not keep the spiritual Israelite Sabbath. They do not keep the biblical holy days. They do not keep Passover. They do not help the widows and the orphans and the afflicted. They do not help the prisoners and they do not give their tithes. And they do not come and, and fellowship on the Sabbath day. Dogs lost people by the love of God will not be allowed into paradise to corrupt everything all over again. There must be a final conclusion of wickedness and sin. Even Satan and the demons themselves must die. All wicked people that continue to blaspheme God, that never reach out in sincere surrender to God, that are never willing to fully come to the knowledge of the truth and stop sinning, it is true love that will annihilate, that will put an end to it. If God does not put an end, a final end to it, which is complete opposite of eternal hell, and the complete opposite of eternal torment, God has to actually put an end to suffering, to pain, to torment. God has to put an end to it. That's the perfect definition of love, is that God will have that much mercy to put an end to it, yeah, even an end to all pain and suffering and torment. Total annihilation in the lake of fire. That's love. That's mercy. Otherwise, we'll be living in hell forever. Amen? Hell is on this earth. Right now, we're living in hell. Every day, in the trials and sufferings of this life. And it must come to an end. Amen. God loves everyone, but he hates sin, and he does forsake the sinner until we reach back out to him, until we're willing to repent, and he does detest the continual under the uh, the continual 
unrepentant, rebellious sinner. He does detest them. So the difference between hate and detest. I would not hate my son, ever, no matter what he does. Yes, unconditional love. I will always love my son, even if he commits the blasphemy, that type of murder. I will always still love him. But I will detest him. I will forsake him. I will never speak to him again. I will not answer his letters or his phone calls. And he is not my son anymore. Now, this is just an example. Just an example. There is a difference between hate and detest. Amen? Now, let me see if I left anything out. I would say, I won't turn there, but I will say that the righteousness of the saints and the saints themselves have a sweet aroma to God, according to different verses, including 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. I won't turn there, but it'll be in the notes when you read the notes when I publish the notes later, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 that there is a sweet aroma of the saints to God. Amen. And I believe I've covered everything, so now I will open up the chat room on Mixler. And also, if anybody wants to contact me, if you got my contact information, and um, uh, let me thank you. Um, WhatsApp and Telegram, and text message, uh, and we do have a testimony already in the Mixler chat room. Our brother in Jamaica says that he has this testimony that this week I got a new client and I did not actively seek additional clients. He did not actually actively seek clients, but he still got a new client anyway. So praise God for that provision and that blessing for our dear brother in Jamaica, praise God. So if anybody else has a testimony or a song or a word for the Lord or just wants to read a chapter of the Bible or just wants to read a verse in the Bible uh, or to type in, that would be fine as well. Brother Gerald, do you have anything to share with us? Praise God for all the new references that we have found today as to our notes and to the Alpha and Omega Bible. Praise God. Brother Joe, do you want to come up? What do you have to add? That, that doctrine of uh, eternal torture, eternal burning hell, is also found in pagan religions, and that's the origin of life and Satan, pagan religions, and Islam. So. Amen.
Now this sermon is the result of re-examining, uh, re-examining. Re I was willing to go either direction on this, depending on the truth of Scripture. And yet, the conclusion of the matter was that we already had this topic correct, and uh, we needed a fresh article or transcript on this subject, and because there's a lot of deception out there, tons and tons and tons and tons of deception, and most people are so extremely gullible. We got so many false voices out there. They just fall for book, line, and Very sad that people are so gullible. No wisdom. There is no wisdom in this earth. You can hardly find it. Very, very, very rare. Very sad state of humanity. That praise God that the Holy Ghost is still alive, working, saving, delivering. That the Kenny in South Africa, having recently come to the knowledge of the truth, even Kiki's grandson also coming into the truth now. Praise God and others, and we're going to see others come into the truth. Amen. Let, let us put our mind on the good things, despite that there is darkness everywhere as we look. Let, it, let us put our mind on the positive, those things that are praiseworthy, those things that are uh, of a good report. Let us put our minds. Praise God. Um, AJ, uh, it must be only on your side. I'm still talking. Uh, so if I get confirmation from John or Kareem that you can still hear me and uh, that there's not any problems on your side, we see the listener count going down, but I think that's probably the cost of the sermons down. Can anyone still hear me? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, it says it stopped for a couple of minutes, but it is back. Okay, right. thank you. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for everyone helping me to understand. Sometimes there may be internet problems or whatever, computer problems or something. So anyway, it's done. And it seems like there's no other testimony, so we'll conclude this with a song that cured any audio delay. And let's go to page number five in our song. I'll see y'all next week, week from today. God bless. Living so in this simple world, hardly a comfort and a Striving on.
lifted eyes over to the Lord. Where could I go? Oh, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbors are kind, I love everyone. Please confirm that you would like to end this meeting by pressing star zero.